0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Thank you, my friend. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. It is Inauguration Eve. In less than 15 hours from now, noon tomorrow, Joe Biden takes the helm in some of the worst seas we've ever seen, and we are on a very, very uncertain course. It's no small irony that America crossed the 400,000 coronavirus virus death mark on the final full day in office for a president whose legacy will be a litany of pain and loss and hatred. And while that disgraced man is no one to follow, he did start his term with a pledge that he has now made a priority for Joe Biden.
2: This American carnage stops right here and stops right now. Now Trump
1: meant the opposite. And look at the tally. 400,000 more than that dead. A pandemic he told you was going to disappear like a miracle. That is American carnage. A vaccine that no one really planned to distribute well. That could create carnage. A deadly insurrection he inspired to attack Congress. Terrorists that he told he loved. That is American carnage. And yes, racists. Hateful hordes all over this country feeling empowered like they haven't for a generation to act on their invective. That is carnage. And Trump and the enablers who remain, all of you, Own it. You, who ignored, echoed, and empowered this menace, you should see the fruits of your faithless oath to this country. Look at what you've done. Military needed to secure the democracy from other Americans enraged by you. No longer can America boast a peaceful transfer of power. Hawley, Cruz, McConnell, McCarthy, let these names ring in infamy just like the day they brought to rest on January 6th. The day they stood up, other than McConnell, but he's done plenty to make things worse. The rest of you stood up to lie about an election in Congress even after an insurrection. Trump did not act alone. You took us here and we will never forget. But now... It is on Biden and Harris to stop the carnage. And they already, before they're inaugurated, they made a moment we sorely needed. The first time this country stopped to mourn the dead from COVID at the reflecting pool in Washington, D.C. Look. To heal, we must remember. It's hard sometimes to remember. Between sundown and dusk, let us shine the lights in the darkness along the sacred pool of reflection. Remember all whom we lost. What joins us all right now is what Biden just gave voice to. Hurt. Pain. We all feel under siege, certainly from a virus, and yes, from a disease of our own making, this division is toxic too. You should reflect now on why Trump and his enablers never called for a moment like that. They certainly had no problem bringing people together, right? They had their rallies, but they had no respect for the dead. The answer is found in this president's farewell. He is the enemy of empathy, of truth,
2: and of trust. We did what we came here to do, and so much more. I am especially proud to be the first president in decades who has started no new wars. Now, as I prepare to hand power over to a new administration at noon on Wednesday, I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. Every part of that
1: is offensive. I don't know who wrote it, but I hope we find out, and they should be held to account also. No new wars. Our democracy is not under attack by domestic terrorists that that man incited to help him cling to power. What movement? There's no mo- It's all about him. Please know this. If you voted for Trump out of disgust with the system, unhappy with your lot in life, you were not wrong to feel that way. You were right then and now to demand better from government. Too many are being left behind. In the interest of too few. And the men and women who often squander their chance to serve us deserve that enmity. You just happen to pick someone who conned you. Who never really gave a damn about you. Hugging the flag. Was he? Or was he trying to choke out the country? His insurrection mob beat a police officer with a flag. Waved it around. And he said, I love you. He knew what they did. What president does that? What decent person does that? These people are not patriots. They are perverting old glory, and we all know it. The red, white, those stripes, those 13, the colonies that came together, a field of blue like the sky of our destiny, filled with the stars that are the constellation of our states. Every representation makes the same point in the flag. E pluribus unum. We are one out of many, not many at the urging of one despotic Donald. Remember what we are about and please remember what we can never be about again. This is not about right or left. I know many of you are happy about Biden. I know everybody wants better. In this moment, I'm not there. I am consumed with our uncertain future, imperiled by our lack of collective concern. I have never seen us like this, not in my lifetime. This beautiful scene of the flags in the National Mall represents the Americans who won't be able to attend inauguration tomorrow, but not to me. To me, it is a representation of how we should all see ourselves at our core. We are aware of our interconnection and our need for one another, or we are about nothing. We cannot continue the way we are right now. Left and right, it is time to be reasonable, if you want to get out of this paroxysm of pain. So what happens? Where do we go from here? David Gregory and Michael Smirkanish join us right now.
3: Uh, how do you look at the moment, David? Well, I, I think it's a hopeful moment. You know, I, I think the country is starved for leadership, uh, for compassion from our president. Uh, from, for a respect for the presidency. Uh, and there's an urgent need for action uh, in, for, on this pandemic, in the economy, the country is hurting, and the country feels isolated. And that's why I really liked the notes that President-elect Biden sounded today and tonight and what he'll do tomorrow, to remind each other that, that we, we were connected to each other. You know, I think about Martin Buber, who wrote I am thou. The idea is that to be in an I and thou relationship is what happens to you matters to me and vice versa and a sense of community that we need in the country if we're going through something really hard. And we're going through lots of things that are really hard, including overcoming these Trump years. And so I think the moment is defined by the man, this incoming president and Kamala Harris, the woman, uh, who, will, who will offer some hope and some direction because we need government and we need a presidency to function well at the moment.
1: Michael, what did our movement as just beginning mean to you at the end of the Trump address?
3: I hope you don't mind if I critique
4: the opening commentary because you speak for me in most respects, but to the extent you're presenting those facts, and I think they are facts, as consensus I don't think we're there, Chris. I- I've looked Which? at too much of the recent polling. Be specific when What's you that? attack
1: me, Smirconish. What facts?
4: Well, what I'm, no, no. What I'm saying is everything that you've just said makes sense to me personally, but I don't think there's a consensus in the country that that's where we are because the early polling data post January 6th, that, that day of infamy, suggests that at least 50% of Republicans remain hardened in their support of Donald Trump. They continue to believe that the election was stolen. They think the impeachment process was a fraud. And although I'd love to see a kumbaya moment for the country, I don't
1: think we're there. I don't see it as kumbaya. I'm not asking for kumbaya. I don't even like kumbaya. I'm asking for a sense of the existential. This country does not work as separate parts. Uh, we tried that once. doesn't work. I'm not asking people to like one another. I'm asking them to understand the priorities of our collective existence. And that's what I believe is in jeopardy right now. I don't disagree with you about the numbers. I'm going to leave you right now because you're being too cogent. And go to David and say um, that I do believe there has to be a reach where there is a reason to believe that catches people in a way that's not happening right now.
3: But this is the work of communities, this is the work of citizens, it's the work of media. But the immediate focus is, does the government work right? Does the federal government work well? And does the federal government work well with state governments? And this is most relevant in dealing with a health crisis that is gripping the world. And so the work that you're talking about, Chris, is big. It's important. It may take a long time, but we know that government politics, and media play a big role in that. And with a new president, this kind of reset, it gives um, the country an opportunity to look to the presidency, a figure who has great sway over the public, uh, and see some difference and see a new beginning. Um, That matters. We need that. We're in a new year. People would like to turn a page in 2021 and leave 2020 behind. And You know, what happens from the government, because the the presidency gets so much attention, it can feel destabilizing. I think people have felt that their world is turned upside down and it's very uncomfortable. And I think President Biden will bring some comfort, some stability. It doesn't mean he's going to get his legislation all passed, but I think he's going to represent that in the presidency. And I think that matters whether you're for him or against him, I think a common decency and stability matters. Last word to you, Michael.
4: I think that the incoming president has enormous burdens because of the divide that we've been discussing, but also a tremendous opportunity, and it's vaccine distribution. If he can meet the 100 million in 100 days all good things will flow from that, and I think that Americans will respond to competence. So there's the opportunity for him. If he can deliver on that, it'll be a great start.
1: I don't know about a, I know 100 million, 100 days, you know, th- there's obviously a companion concept there. I don't know. They, they better be careful about the bar. Um, I understand a, a little bit about what's going on in states and distribution. They have a problem. We have yep. a supply problem, yeah. and we have a logistics problem, and there isn't not just the money for it, They don't even know what the fix is. But I'll tell you what, Michael, you're right. And that's why I'm so afraid. And that's why I'm so concerned for us. Uh, Is that I know we have to get to a better place. I know this is unsustainable for us. We're not set up to survive this way. It won't last. And we have to just keep reminding people about a reason to believe in something bigger and better than what has gotten us to this point so far. But you're right, brother, and I appreciate you checking me. David Gregory, Michael Smirconish, thank you for making the conversation worthwhile. The force... Of 25,000 National Guard troops securing this inauguration just got smaller by a dozen. This is what I'm talking about, about this existential concern. This is an example of trying to stop the slightest risk of an insider attack. What happens when you don't know who the enemy is anymore? It's not someone on the outside. It's us. Who is us? Who is them? Is it safe to have the ceremony on the Capitol steps tomorrow? Is it right to do it, even if something may go wrong? A congressman who has not been satisfied with the level of intel he's gotten on the riot, who has a responsibility to find out and tell the rest of us. Next. You know, when you look at D.C. now, you hope it's safe, but it's certainly sad to see all that security necessary to keep us from ourselves. And there are new concerns that make this necessary connections between those supposedly protecting democracy and those who want to attack it. The first significant conspiracy charges were filed today in the Capitol riot. Federal prosecutors going after three leaders of the extremist group, the Oath Keepers, this bunch of people that specifically targets members of the military and law enforcement. Twelve members of the Army National Guard are now removed from protecting the inauguration, part of the FBI vetting looking into possible ties with extremist groups. We know two Guard members from Ohio were removed. Let's discuss the state of the inaugural security with Ohio Representative Tim Ryan. Congressman, welcome back to primetime. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Let's go macro, micro. On the macro, uh, where's your head in terms of the level of compliance with your questions and the level of openness? Are you getting confidence or are you losing confidence that people want to answer your questions?
5: Well, I tell you, I've been having a, a number of very good, open, transparent conversations with the Sergeant at Arms, uh, the, the National Guard, the head of the National Guard uh, nationally, uh, and, and they've been very, very transparent. I've kind of been focused with them, and not necessarily the Capitol Police, because they're having more of a leadership role here, uh, and I know the rank and file in the, in the Capitol Police. Uh, are, are doing well, and they're ready to do the job. So we're, we're feeling good going into tomorrow. Secret Service is running the show, as we've talked about. Uh, and, you know, n- tomorrow's the big day. I mean, we had to focus on tomorrow, and uh, starting right after the inauguration, we're going to get the, the, down to the business of figuring out, you know, what the hell happened last week or two weeks ago.
1: One of the many toxic, I told you so, with this outgoing president, mm-hmm. is going to be what he awakened. Uh, groups like the Oath Keepers, they never had a place in our political culture, our mainstream dialogue. Now they do. And now you hear about these uh, National Guardsmen being pulled, a couple from Ohio. Uh, what is that about? Is that about their connection to extremist groups that we know about? I mean, wh- what have you been told?
5: There, there is no connection at this point to any extremist groups. I mean, you could imagine the abundance of caution that the leadership uh, in the National Guard are, are implementing right now all the way down, Chris, the people who may be saying things that they shouldn't be saying uh, uh, are being removed because no one is taking any chance uh, at all. I know for a couple that was the case. Uh, the other the other 10 uh, were the FBI are basically running background checks on everybody here. And there may have been something there, not necessarily connected to anything from last week, not necessarily uh, connected to anything they've done wrong. This won't necessarily be held against them in their personnel file, but just, as I said, with an overabundance of caution, making sure that tomorrow goes off without a hitch, and there's none of those regrets of, you know, why did we keep that person on? If you are even, you know, sniffing any kind of even saying something wrong, you're going to be removed, and that's what the National Guard's doing, and they should be commended for it, because uh, the vast majority of the National Guardsmen are very patriotic here to do their job, and they're taking this mission, this activation, very, very seriously.
1: I want to ask you something I have never asked a member of Congress before, (laughs) uh, because I've never had a basis. I keep hearing that there are people on the Democratic side who aren't going to show up. They're afraid. It has nothing to do with Biden. Uh, They're afraid of their own safety, uh, and that you've been dealing with heat from your own family. Uh, How real are the fears among your colleagues, and what did you tell your family about why you think you need to go?
5: Well, you're, you're absolutely right, many, many people are feeling it uh, and and they're worried and they're not here uh, because the, the trust level was so breached a couple weeks ago. And that trust takes a long time to get rebuilt. And if you were a member of Congress who was already getting death threats, already being attacked, already being, you know, uh, put up on TV stations uh, across the country to be targeted, I'd stay home too. And I, I basically, you know, told my wife and my family, like, you know, this is going to be safe and we need to be there. And, and I'm asking all these National Guardsmen to stand up. I'm asking the Capitol Police to stand up. You know, their life has been a lot more miserable than mine in the last few weeks. They're working 12-hour shifts on the heels of that insurrection. Uh, the least I can do as the chair of the committee that funds them is to be here to support them. And so I wasn't, you know, I thought a lot about it because I've got a young family too. And uh, but I think it's appropriate that that I'm here to support the men and women who are helping make this happen.
1: I appreciate uh, where those words come from. But can you think of any other time where you have been less certain of the stability of this society in your lifetime than right now?
5: No. Forty, 47 and a half years old. And, uh, you know, it's sad. I mean, I just, I think the whole country has moved. I think I've been aligned with that, uh, emotional movement from being really, really, really angry, really pissed off, um, really frustrated to really a level of sadness. Now this, this is sad, Chris. I, I, interned up here, uh, as a young person in college. Um, I've been a Congressman now for, I'm going into my 19th, in my 19th year. And it was sad to walk around last week and, and today and see the National Guard everywhere, to see the fencing with the razor wire and the big military vehicles. Uh, it's just, it, it's sad that, that our country has gotten to this point. I, th- I think fortunately we have the right person to help us get through this, um, but there's gotta be some accountability for for the people who did the wrongdoing the people who incited the wrongdoing and quite frankly the people that looked the other way who were members of Congress or in the Senate or governors who were in the witness protection program for the last four years you couldn't hear from them when these egregious acts were happening all over the place they didn't say anything and then it it came to a head two weeks ago there needs to be some accountability. And I'm not saying we need to shame anybody because that doesn't end up getting you anywhere, but they gotta take some responsibility so that we can move on knowing that this is not gonna happen again in our country. We have young kids, and this is not what we want to leave them. They're gonna ask us, you were in Congress, dad, for 20 years, you know, what the hell'd you do? And we've gotta make sure that, that we hold people's feet to the fire Get the accountability. Then the unity will come.
1: I'm with you. Probably won't be processed. It would be too divisive. I wouldn't sleep on the shame. I hear you about anger. At Akosha always told me that, you know, anger doesn't have to be bad. It can be an emotional passion uh, for positive purpose as well. But what we're dealing with here is hurt. And these people, it's going to come down to you guys. You're going to have to call out your own members when they try to be about something that they ignored the last four years and they try to create a new standard um, and a new ethic about what they're about in service. That's where the line has to be drawn because as the president elect was saying to us today, Tim, um, you know, to heal, you got to remember and we can never forget how we got here or it makes us vulnerable to it again. Tim Ryan, be safe. I'll be looking for you and I'll be looking out for you. Congressman be well.
5: Appreciate it, Chris. Thank you.
1: Trump's gone tomorrow. What about all the, the crap that he has brought to bear? The conspiracy theories, the extremists that he's empowered, all the toxicity, all the rage, that remains. The people who enabled him, the echoes, those who were complicit in his illicit acts, they remain. How do we get to a better place? A much wiser mind to answer a question I can only ask. Tom Friedman, next. So let's be honest with each other here. What happens tomorrow? Can we really turn a new leaf? Is a change of president enough to cause a change in the state of this country? Let's discuss where we are and where we can go. New York Times foreign affairs columnist Tom Friedman, author of the bestseller, Thank You for Being Late. Good to see you, brother. How you feeling on this eve?
6: Um. Good to be with you, Chris. And I, I'm, I'm feeling hopeful. Um, I watched um, President like Biden and um, uh, you know, Vice President like Harris um, give that address today in Washington. Um, there was something beautiful about it. Um, and uh, it just reminds you what happens when you turn the noise machine down uh, and you get two people, uh, two decent people, we're just trying to figure it out, um, and to lead by bringing people together, and not by dividing and enraging. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling hopeful. I, I know it's going to be a long slog, though, Chris. Um, I really draw on the experience now these days of of um, the whole war uh, against you know Muslim extremism after 9/11. And I'll tell you the biggest thing I learned from that um, that you need a war of ideas, and it's got to come from within. So what do I mean by that? I was actually in Israel on 9/11. And I sat down with Israeli experts after that I asked them, what what have you learned most about suicide bombers? And they said, what we really learned is that, you know, we can catch one, we can catch another, but the third will get through unless the village says no. That is, if the wider community says, no, that's actually not martyrdom, that's murder, that's when it starts to change. And what we need here, what what Donald Trump brought us, Chris, what's so unusual about his presidency, is that he gave permission— For some of the ugliest voices and ugliest trends and ugliest thoughts in our society to come out, to feel comfortable. And it all came to a climax in the Capitol. We need to take that permission away. Well, just Trump leaving will be the beginning of that. But the ecosystem, the Fox News permission uh, givers, the whole ecosystem has to say, this is off, this is wrong, you are not proud boys, you're dumb boys. It has to come from within the right, and that's what we all have to be calling for as journalists, as politicians, and, Chris, as business leaders. The American business community has got to tell every one of these shows, if you are promoting a big lie, we are taking the money away. That's what A War of Ideas is all
1: about. How do you distinguish between the ugly, who we need to ignore and disempower, and the rest Of the 74 million that voted for Trump, because as you well know, uh, over on state news and all the fringe outlets, they're playing two songs right now already. One, immigration, immigration. Biden's letting them all in. Here they come. Here are the marauding hordes, the brown menace. And they hate all of you. They think you're all bigots. Now, one of those we've dealt with before. The other one is very powerful. How do you deal with people feeling that they've been made an enemy?
6: You know, Chris, there's no question that if you listen to the voices of some of those people up in the Capitol on January 6th, for them, 90% of this is about race, and the other 10% is about race, okay? Um, uh, These are people who are simply resistant to the fact that we are in the process of moving uh, from a white-majority, Christian-dominated country to a minority-majority country. And some of them are not going to be uh, redeemable. Uh, they're, they're, we're just going to have to wait for them to be reconciled. But there's a whole other group of people there, Chris. Um, people who are on the wrong side of the divide, you know, Ray Dalio has written about this from Bridgewater, you know, 40% of, of America has actually done pretty well since 1980. 60% of America hasn't had a raise. That's just not on. We mm-hmm. can't sustain that. For those mm-hmm. people, the country's not working. The other huge factor here, Chris, and you saw it in the, in the, elect, in the electoral map, in every one of these states, what do we see? Urban centers blue, the whole rest of the state red. Uh, and somehow Biden, and I think he's well positioned to do this, he's got to go out there to these rural areas, listen to these people.
1: I, you know, To me, you But then he gets attacked, to- Tom. He gets attacked by the left who says land doesn't vote. And why would you go and cater to the minority who just cottoned to one of the worst presidents in history, if not the worst, worry about us. We put you in office
6: well i i don't think it has to be either or uh, by the mm-hmm. way when you bring rural mm-hmm. broadband to rural when you bring broadband to rural america you also create enormous opportunities mm-hmm. for urban dwellers mm-hmm. who actually want to live in in rural comfortable places and get out of cities this is a positive sum game but democrats don't want to go through another election where the entire rural part of America is red. And it's not that, you know, they're deliberately ignoring these parts of the country. Trump didn't do anything for them during the last four years. But this, to me, is a huge opportunity for Biden. What's the best uh, to- thing we have
1: going for us, Tom?
6: What's the best thing we have going for us? I'll tell you what the best thing is we have going for us, Chris, and that's Georgia. What do I mean by that? You know, look look at what Kelly Leffler and Purdue ran on. They ran on two things. One, Warnock and Ossoff are radical socialists, Marxists. And the other is, elect us, and we'll guarantee gridlock. We'll guarantee gridlock. And what happened? A, ma- a majority of Georgians, albeit slim, um, basically said, we don't think they're radical socialists. We've actually been listening to Joe Biden. And you know what? We can't afford any more gridlock. And yes, there was a lot of African-American votes there, no doubt, But I'm telling you, there were white votes and there were white Republican votes there. People want to get moving again. They do not want four more years of gridlock. They want to know that it's going to be fair. Uh, They want to know that their voices are going to be heard. And in Joe Biden, we are so lucky, Chris. At a time when the country is full of hate, we have a president who is impossible to hate. And we have a man who says, you know, I don't have to make myself the center of the story all the time. I'm ready to step back. I'm ready to let others be big and lead. And so I, I, I'm, I'm not crazy. I'm not, I, I, I know this is going to be hard. It's going to be a hard slog. But I think getting Donald Trump with his megaphone out of our ear, we don't realize how much he has warped the conversation in this country. And I, I just think if Biden has half a chance, um, there's a lot of people who want him to succeed and not—they they weren't just the ones who voted for him.
1: You know, you got two generations— um, working on three of fans in my family. My father was a big fan and he would always read what you wrote and see the reasonableness in it. And he would say uh, in situations like this, stay away from whatever's easy. Um, everything that matters in life is hard. Everything that matters that you want, every virtue is hard to attain and maintain. Tom Friedman, thank you for helping us understand our virtues and how to get away from the vices. I'll be talking you. to you soon. really appreciate you, Brother, thank you and good luck. The Trumps and the Bidens are sleeping across the street from one another tonight in the White House and Blair House. But because Trump is so small, so insecure, they'll never meet as outgoing and incoming presidents traditionally do. How? How is that supposed to signal anything but more malice in this country? Jim Acosta's had a front row seat to the Trump phenomenon for four years now. What a ride. What did he learn? Next. The vexing question for us, what comes next for Trump? One idea that the president himself is at least talking about is starting his own political party. Let's get the latest with CNN's chief White House correspondent, Jim Acosta. Jim, good to see you. Great
2: work. Good to see you. And what are you. you
1: hearing about this?
2: Yeah, we confirmed with a a senior Trump advisor earlier this evening that, yes, the president has been talking about this with aides in recent days. But I will tell you, Chris, talking to other advisers about this, uh, this is almost, uh, you know, exploding on the launch pad. Uh, There are advisers who are describing this as a stupid idea, a lame idea. Uh, Essentially, Chris, what this is, is this is uh, the president flailing in his last moments, uh, you know, uh, in office. And he's, he's trying to grasp at something on the way out. If, if he can't cheat his way into a second term, uh, he's going to delude himself with the thought that he can start a new political party. But I mean, as you know, the polls, including CNN's uh, latest poll shows, he's at his lowest approval rating of his entire presidency, somewhere in the neighborhood of 34%. Uh, you can't use that as a foundation to start a new political party. That's just not happening. What
1: do you think happens next for us, not just him?
2: Well, I, you know, uh, this this is a crisis for this country. There's, there's no question about it. Trump may leave the scene, but Trumpism is not leaving the scene. Uh, I, I think what we saw on January 6th is is something that we're going to be left with uh, for, for some period of time. I mean, Donald Trump is going to go down as not a commander in chief, but a Confederate in chief. He divided this country in ways that you and I have never seen in our lifetime. Uh, He pitted people against one another, called uh, folks like us the enemy of the people. And one of the reasons why I was so focused on on that slur against uh, members of the news media is because my concern all along throughout this presidency, Chris, is that one day we would start treating each other as enemies. You know, First he calls the press the enemy, then he calls other people the enemy and so on. And this hatred that's put in people uh, in their hearts uh, can become cancerous, can become toxic. And I think it's that kind of hostility and hatred that exploded in front of our eyes on January 6th. And we're now left with it. And we have to figure out a way as a country uh, to to bind up the nation's wounds. Uh, you, know, the, you know, look to our better angels, as uh, Abraham Lincoln and, our, and other presidents have uh, called us to do in the past. But no question about it, this is a president who leaves, um, you know, a, a chasm, a chasm you know, just a a massive canyon of of hostility and division and hatred. And it's just not something we're gonna be able to heal right away, but we all have to work at it. We all have to work together as a team. We're not gonna be able to defeat COVID as a divided country with Trump supporters not wanting to wear masks and so on. That's just not gonna work. Um, And I think tomorrow is the beginning uh, of potentially starting that healing process with all those flags that we're seeing across the National Mall perhaps we can all look at those flags and remember, you know, that stands for all of us. Mm.
1: Um, You know, it's interesting. People will say, you know, you, Acosta, you paint the president this way. No, we don't. He paints himself. Uh, Let us just remind the audience of the situation at his own inaugural luncheon, who was there and what Trump said about it four years ago. Watch this, everybody. Okay.
2: I was very honored, very, very honored, when I heard that President Bill Clinton and Secretary Hillary Clinton was coming today. And I think it's appropriate to say. And I'd like you to stand up. I'd like you to stand up. And honestly, there's nothing more I can say because I have a lot of respect for those two people. So thank you all for being here. And the
1: point is, he knows better. He knows what is worthy of respect and worthy of contempt. And he chooses to be worthy of contempt. He will not show up. He knows it is injurious to the nation and he
2: just doesn't care. And he has sent the message to millions of supporters across the country that may shrinking in size, but millions of supporters across the country that this Donald Trump, the Donald Trump on the way out is the way we should behave as Americans when we all know all too well. And he knows all too well. Maybe the maybe the president who's leaving tomorrow doesn't know anymore, but certainly the one you just showed in that clip a few moments ago, that we're all one country. And just very one quick final thing I will say, Chris, is that we are now at a point where we're seeing a 9-11 size tragedy every day when it comes to deaths from COVID-19. And you and I, you and I both know, Chris, you're a New Yorker the the uh, the national unity, the sense of national unity that we felt in this country after 9-11. We need to harness that. We need to get back to that and think about how we're losing that number of people every day and try to approach every day from here on out until we beat this virus and end this pandemic, that we can be that kind of unified country again. Trump divided us in ways that almost killed us, but we can't let it happen. We have to pull together as Americans. That's the lesson that I've taken away from this experience at the White House. We, we have to stand united. Jim Acosta, I'll tell you a lesson I've taken away. You, my brother, can do the job. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Chris. And we'll Appreciate be right it. back. Appreciate that.
1: So how is this Biden going to do in these challenges? He's been in Congress for a long time. He was vice president. But what about his medal? What about those who know him? Let's talk to somebody who can really give us insight. Biden, biographer, Evan Osnos. It's good to see you, Evan. Welcome to the team.
7: My pleasure. Thanks, Chris.
1: So what do you know about this man that should matter to America right
7: now? You know, he comes to this job with a lot of scar tissue on him. And that may, in fact, be the thing that makes him equipped for this moment. Because let's be blunt, you know, we are a country right now that is contending with not just one crisis. As he thinks of it, we have four crises that, are, that we're, we're dealing with. It's COVID, obviously. Uh, It is also climate change. It's the economy and its racial equity. And as far as Biden's concerned, these are all interwoven with one another. And they did not start, of course, on the day Donald Trump came to office. He looks at Donald Trump and he says he 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 rejects absolutely everything Donald Trump stood for. He did violence to the office of the presidency as far as Joe Biden was concerned. But Biden was talking to me in 2014 about his concern that there were, as he put it, working class Democrats, middle class Democrats who, and you've heard this term from him before, are getting clobbered. This is before Donald Trump was on the scene. It was before Bernie Sanders had risen as a political phenomenon. He sensed that there were these deep structural issues in American life. And what we saw under Donald Trump was that the combination of these underlying problems and the sheer incompetent government uh, that Trump presided over resulted in the you know, this four-sided catastrophe we're dealing with now. And he is coming to this in a a posture, I think, that really does remind us of the moment that Roosevelt took office in 1933. And, you know, we all remember that speech for the line uh, that we have nothing to fear but fear itself. But, you know, the line, Chris, that got the biggest applause that day was the thing that he said when he said, the country is asking for action and it's asking for action now. And that is very much, I think, the pose that he brings to this moment it's time to get moving and deal with these crises
1: how certain do you think he is of what to do initially you can't attack four fronts at once uh it's obvious with the pandemic and the vaccine i would think uh but he's going to have pressure from his own party Uh, i don't know why people in congress can't seem to get anything done let alone more than one thing at a time but how certain do you think he is of what to do early
7: well, he's very clear that you can get nothing else done until you begin to get COVID under control and COVID and the economy are intertwined. You know, his, as you've heard, his big legislative agenda begins with a, a, a large uh, package, $1.9 trillion package. Whether or not that's what ends up getting through Congress, that has a signaling effect to all of us, which is to say he is telling us it is time to aim for something big. This is not the moment for small plans. Uh, And also, he's talking about immigration. After all, he's going to introduce an immigration bill, which I think, Chris, is as much about the technical details of creating a pathway to citizenship as it is about changing the moral temperature of our politics. Remember, Donald Trump came to office by turning immigration into an issue that was as hostile as anything we've seen uh, in a generation. And Joe Biden wants to tell us that that moment is over and it's time to go back to a more encompassing, more welcoming America.
1: Why the ambition? Why go back to one of the touchiest subjects really ever? I mean, you know, Donald Trump did not create immigration uh, as a fear instrument. Um, But why go to that early out of the box when you are in a desperate situation of looking for things to make this country come together?
7: Well, I think what he would tell you is, and he says this to people all the time out on the rope lines and when he's working the room is that we are the country we are because we are a nation of immigrants. And he thinks that one of the biggest losses, one of the biggest mistakes that the Trump administration imposed on this country and on our politics was by degrading that idea. And he says we have to put that back at the center of the conversation. And remind you, you know, it's easy to forget that in 2013, there were Republicans who were considering the possibility of a serious immigration overhaul, and that was all, of course, washed away. And his bet, and this gets to the core of his political Philosophy is, if you can change the parameters, give people an opportunity to do something better, to appeal to their better angels, as Jim Acosta so rightly put it, well, then you might be able to surprise yourselves with what we're able to achieve. Aim big, and we might actually beat it. Mm.
1: Evan Osnos, I really appreciate it. Your insight is going to be essential in the coming days as people are trying to get the measure of the man. Thank you very much, especially on this historic eve. And thank you. Appreciate you very much. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. We live in history together, friends. It's not always easy. But like Pop said, everything in life that matters is going to be hard. And we have hard days ahead, mostly because of our own making. So let's be together. One out of many. That's it for us tonight. CNN tonight
8: with the big star, D Lemon,
1: starts right now.
8: What do they say? We're living in the, the part of history that people write about. And that's true. This one is. That, that's even more this. true now. Yeah.
1: People are going to remember this and they're going to remember you, D Lemon.
8: Yeah, and you. I mean, think about it. I, I, I'm glad you said that. We, how you feeling? It's been a, we've aged 10 years. Yes, not you. And the country. But no. you do things so that and, you don't look as much as you've <laughs> aged. Yeah, like hair and makeup uh, and lighting. <laughs> um, yeah, but think about it. For the last, it's been a tough five years since that escalator ride. And, you know, I don't, I, I, it's been a lot tougher on, Americans during the pandemic, but I'm just putting things into perspective. Ever since then, our lives have been turned upside down. We've done longer extended hours. I've never worked so many hours just anchoring. I mean, I worked, I used to go out in the field and all those things, but just anchoring shows. I was supposed to do one hour and then I've been doing two hours and sometimes three or four and um, working the weekends and, you know, getting um, called enemy of the people and people yelling at us, all kinds of things that we have had to deal with over the past five years. So, I don't want to say right now that our long national nightmare is over because we have to see what happens in the coming days and coming weeks and months. But we shall see. It's definitely um, the ending of an era, I believe. But we have to see how it turns out.
1: Is it a beginning? Is it an end? Uh, I'm unsure. Mostly because the people who banked on Trump didn't get anything out of it other than anger and fear. Not even the wall, not even the signature promise. So their pain is still there. Uh, Now, people who have problems uh, with ignorance and animus about others, I don't know what we can do about that. Uh, That's what your book is about. But uh, the people who have a hard life are going to have a hard life for some time to come. So Mm -hmm. I don't think anything's over, especially not with what I've seen with Biden, not even in office yet. The tabloids from the fringe right. Already trying to demonize him with immigration. Hawley standing up today and stopping uh, the quick appointment of a homeland security secretary in this kind of environment yeah. over nothing. The indications are bad and nobody no. stood up, not even McConnell, and told Hawley to sit down. And it's not over nothing,
8: reason. Chris. It's over political expedience. It's over selfishness. Nothing. It's over nothing power. of merit. Yes, nothing of merit. So you're, you're absolutely right about that. But history will be the judge. We've said that. Uh, and, you know, when people get fed up, you know what they do? They rise up and they go to the polls and they vote people out, which is what they did with this administration. People had had enough. Yes, 72, 73 million. I know it gets you know, rounded up to 74, but it's not. Get, they, they voted for this president. But 81 million voted against this president and for the incoming uh, administration. And I got to tell you, what a, what a marked difference. Yesterday on my show, listening to Obama's farewell final speech (laughs) and then comparing that to Trump's today it's like and then you know watching Joe Biden today being a human being showing empathy being emotional talking about the 400,000 people who died paying tribute uh, to those people honoring the people who have died and the people who have who have kept America on track for the last year but even the last four years because In spite of, I always get in spite and despite uh, mixed up, but in spite of all of the craziness, all of the lack of leadership, all of the lying, all the vitriol that came out of this White House and the people who support this president, America is still on track. And the people who have been running this country and keeping this country going um, are still here for this country. Many of them did die during the pandemic, but enough are still around where they said, I've had enough and tomorrow... I think this American carnage will be over. I can't say that. I like the way you're thinking. I like the way you're thinking. I'll see you at midnight. How about that, Chris? You're going to kick off our... I mean, it started with us and all the interviews. Remember, I think, I think, I'm pretty sure I was the first person to look him in the eye. And You remember that interview and I said, are you racist? And he's like, I am the least racist person that you ever... Would that, you're not saying that you're not racist. You're just saying you're the least one. And now look where we end, with him with a racist insurrection on the Capitol. It all comes full circle. So well, we'll,
1: I'm happy to be on tonight. I'm happy to be a part of history. And, and then we'll be here I, tomorrow
8: doing our thing that people love to watch. I can't believe it. We, we
1: hopefully. Keep, <laughs> here's my hope. And newsmen yeah. never ask for this. Yes, sir. I hope you and I, tomorrow from midnight to 5 in the morning Eastern, have a very uneventful
8: night. Amen. I'll see you later. And guess what? I love you, D. Lemon. I know it. I love you more. I'll see you soon. I'll see you at midnight, okay? Yes. Quality sleep is essential.
0: And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together.